Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Turn with us over to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And we're in chapter 4 again. And again, the Lord has delayed me. I keep wanting to get to verse 7 and do that section there. The fivefold, and the Lord said, "We're going to get there, but not today." And uh, today's another kind of foundation before we get there. And so, since He dictates what we do, we listen to Him. And so He's got us back in verse one. So if you go back to verse one with me, Ephesians chapter four, verse one. There, Paul's writing. He says, "I therefore," that's an important word. As, a, as you've heard before, as they taught us when we were in Bible school and different things, as we were learning how to study, if you see a therefore, you find out what it's there for. It, it links everything that's been said with what Paul's about to say, what the Holy Spirit's saying through the, the Apostle Paul. And so all of chapter 3 is linked, is caught up in that there, or really all of the first three chapters caught up in that therefore all that he's laid out. This is a pivotal point. Everything changes in verse 1 of chapter 4. The whole book changes right here. It's, it's a pivot point. And he's laid out all these things. We're going to look at that here in just a minute. And then he gets to, to verse 1. He says, Therefore, a prisoner, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. I'm going to stop right there before I go on. Walk in a manner worthy. How many of you are like me? Every time you hear that word worthy in Scripture, you think, oh man, I don't measure up. You ever feel that way? I do. I do. The enemy will attack me that way. It's like, you don't measure up. You're not worthy. He did make me worthy. Jesus did make me worthy. He does make me worthy. He keeps on making me worthy. I don't worship Him because I'm worthy. I worship Him because He's worthy. You know, I am not saved because I'm worthy. I'm saved because of who he is and what he did and what he promised. So again, that this word worthy, but I want to share something with you this morning that I hope will help set you free because it's been free in my life when I really understood what this word worthy, because I think of this word worthy as measure up. I've got to be good enough. I've got to do the right things and say the right things. And I got to be better than I've ever been. And I need to be almost like Jesus. You know, that's kind of this picture in my mind. That's not really what this word is saying. He urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That's what we've been talking about. Custom made calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We're going to stop there for just a second. The first three chapters of Ephesians are the calling. The last three chapters of Ephesians are the walking. Okay, the first three are the calling. The last three are the walking. The calling and the walking have to go together. This is a pivot point between the calling and the walking. And so he says, you've been called, but that calling requires a walk. If there's no walk, then the calling is ineffective. It's not accomplishing what it was intended to accomplish. So he says, I want you to understand this, that calling demands. And what is the calling, by the way? The first three chapters lay this out. In chapter one, we understand who Jesus is and what the purpose is what our purpose is, what the church's purpose is. It's all laid out in chapter 1 of Ephesians when he says primarily, I mean, the key verse in chapter 1 is verse 10. 
In verse 10, he says that he is uniting all things in himself. He's bringing all things together, united in him, both in heaven and on earth, everything, everyone united in him. That's the purpose. Sometimes in, in theological terms, we use the term reconciliation. But and matter of fact, Paul uses that term over and over again in several of his letters. He says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul said he had the ministry of reconciliation. What do you do when you reconcile? Remember the old days when we actually had checks and you had a register in your checkbook and you did that? Anybody remember that? You remember how that? And you would get a bank statement and then you would have to take, because your checkbook often didn't look like your bank statement looked like. And so you go through and you look, oh, I forgot to write that check down or what all these are. What were you doing? You were reconciling. That's literally the term. It's a financial term. You were reconciling one with the other. Now, the assumption was that the bank was accurate and true and your checkbook may or may not be. And so you were reconciling the checkbook to the statement. Jesus says, I am, there's no question about it, I am true and faithful. I am the truth. And my mission, and, and, and by calling the church's mission, is to reconcile everyone and everything to his truth. There's a phrase that I don't care for very much in our generation People say, you've got to discover your truth. I have my truth. There is no your truth or my truth. There is simply truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't a my truth or your truth. And because if there is, then my truth is always going to trump your truth. Always. My truth is always better than your truth. Always. And you feel the same way. Your truth is better than my truth. It isn't yours and mine. It's He is the way the truth, and the life. And he says, I'm reconciling all thought processes, all behaviors, all ways of living, all goals, I, the way we look at everything in life, the way we look at relationships, the way we look at money, the way we look about eternity and plans and goals, the way we live our life, the way we deal with things in the past. All of this is being reconciled to who he says he is and his way of thinking and what he says is truth. That's what he's doing. And you and I are involved in this great calling of ourselves and helping everyone else be reconciled to the truth. That's our purpose. That's chapter one. Chapter two tells us how we begin that journey and why we cannot be on that journey apart from Jesus because we've all sinned, because we've all failed, because we're all separated from God. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins, according to chapter two. And Jesus, by his grace, he died. He paid for that sin. He gave us an invitation, a calling, if you will, and said, hey, I want you to receive me, receive this. That's chapter two. There's this switch of grace being poured out. And this is how we get saved. Chapter three, he goes even further because those who are hearing this, mainly being Jewish, would think, you know, I can see why God did that for us because we're his chosen people. Everybody else is left out. Gentiles are not included in this because they are Gentiles. They are dogs. They don't count. And chapter 3 says, no, what Jesus did for you, he did for them too. He did it for all. So chapter 2 says there's this amazing work that he's doing in everyone by the power of his spirit. And it's beyond anything that you can imagine. So he's reconciling everyone to himself this truth, regardless of who you are or what your background or your social or economic or national or racial. It doesn't matter. He's, he's reconciling all to himself. But he's doing it. He's clear in how he's doing it. It's just not we're all one big happy family and we all get in. No, by grace you are saved through faith. You must believe. You must respond to this calling. You must pick up the phone, if you will, and say yes. 
You have to respond to it. And then he's doing such an incredible work. He's bringing all of these diverse, different people. Even in this room, we are so diverse and different. I mean, for casual glance, we, we look alike in some ways. But in many ways, we are so different. And he's bringing all this diversity of people together. He's reconciling them. He's lining them up under himself, under his truth, under who he is, to be this demonstration of his power and his glory. Because it couldn't happen any other way. Because people don't do that. We don't do that. We don't unify. We fight. We don't come together. We separate. We don't think the best of people. We think the worst of people. That's who we are. We don't naturally give. We naturally take. We were all born takers. We're born again givers. But not naturally. He says, I'm doing this miraculous work by the power of my spirit in you. And this is a testimony for the whole world. And not and chapter three is incredible. Not just for people on this earth, but even for those in heavenly realms to be even spiritual beings are looking on and they are astounded at what they're seeing. This is the calling. It's bigger than you ever imagined. This is why you're here. This is your purpose is being reconciled and helping reconcile others to this. To this person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His truth. Chapter 4, verse 1. Walk worthy. This is the walking out. It begins. But he uses the term worthy. The Greek word axios. Some of you will recognize it. We get our word axis from it. It's a picture. As a matter of fact, I think Joy has a picture. Yes, it's a picture. This is axios. All right? In, in classical Greek, they would use this term often as bringing things into equilibrium. And so on one side of the scale, you would have your weight, whatever that weight was. It could be lead, it could be rocks, it could be whatever it was, but it was a predetermined weight. And it didn't matter what you put on the other side. The goal was to bring it into equilibrium. You could put flour over there. You could put sugar over there. You could put whatever they had over there. I'm not sure they had refined sugar, but whatever they had, you could put it over there. And the goal was to bring it into equilibrium. And when both sides were equal, it would be declared access worthy. It's worthy. It's whole. It's healthy. It's robust. It's worthy. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about when he uses that term right here at the beginning of chapter 4? Here's what he's saying. Your calling and your walking have to be equal. They have to be lined up. You can't have all calling and no walking. And you can't have no walking without calling. They have to be lined up. He says, this is what the Lord is doing in us. Matter of fact, he goes on in chapter 4 to say, how do you know that you are growing up into Christ? How do you know that you're mature? When your life looks more and more like this, that your calling and your walking measure up. Then the scripture says, you're walking worthy. You're walking in a healthy manner. Let me change the wording a little bit for you. Your belief and your behavior. Instead of calling and walking, let's change the words. 
what you believe and how you behave. So belief here, behavior here. If I have all belief, but no behavior that demonstrates what I say I believe, I am not worthy. I am not healthy. I am not robust. I am not growing up. I am immature. I'm staying a babe. If I have all behavior over here, walking, doing, if you will, without proper belief, I'm out of balance. I'm still not growing up. I'm immature. I'm still a babe. Matter of fact, Paul addresses this in several places where he talks about, I would like to give you more, but you still need the milk because you're still immature. You're still babes. Why is he saying this? Because he's saying your, your belief and your behavior don't match up. They don't go together. They don't go. Belief produces behavior and behavior reveals belief. They, they go together and they match up. You say, okay, like how? Someone shared with me this morning, and I don't have permission to share this, so I'm not going to reveal who it was, <laughs> but I don't think they'll care. But they shared with me this morning that they had an incident this week where they got angry with someone and someone they didn't know in a driving situation, and there was mutual anger expressed. And then there was conviction of the Holy Spirit and a changing of attitude and behavior and expression and a reconciliation that took place in a matter of just a few minutes with this perfect stranger where you leave on good terms. You say, what is that all about? That is belief and behavior coming together. Because we can say that Jesus is love. God is love. We're supposed to love people. We can say that we're not supposed to be angry without cause. That we're not, you know, the, and you say, well, I always have cause, Troy. I don't get angry without cause. Um, his cause. I'm angry about what angers him, which I'm not sure that happens very often in our life. I mean, we may get angry, but am I angry about what makes him angry? Um, and so there is this reconciliation, this lining up, this axios between what I say I believe and what I do and how that works its way out. <laughs> Simple thing, all right? You come in next week. And by the way, this is not a guilt or manipulation, just an illustration. But you come in next week, you think the Holy Spirit reminds you of our little conversation about nobody likes to sit in the middle, but Roy does. Thank you, Roy. He's right there in the middle, all right? Nobody likes to sit in the middle. We all move toward the ends and we leave those middle seats. So you come in and you sit down and, you, and the Holy Spirit says, why don't you just move to the middle? And you're thinking, that's of the devil. That's not Jesus. <laughs> it could be of the Lord. It could be. Why? Because it matters where you sit. Not really. Because you're going to make pastor happy. I probably won't even notice. All right. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's teaching you and me how to prefer others over ourselves. And I get to walk out what I say I believe in a simple, practical way. And folks, this happens hundreds of times in your day and in my day where the Holy Spirit says, I want you to do this instead of that because it will be an illustration of what you say you believe and you will walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And He does it all day long in our lives. 
He'll tell you to stop and say something or go and do this or just be still. Just receive this. Give in this way. Use your words this way. Have any of you other than me ever been prompted to say something encouraging to a person, but you don't want to because there's so many bad things in their life, you're afraid it'll give them a big head? Anybody besides... There's a, there's a few of you who are honest. Okay. All right. I'm kidding. All right. I've had that thought before. As a matter of fact, I was kind of raised with the idea you don't want to praise too much because you get the big head and it, it, it's actually counterproductive if you praise too much, if you encourage too much. Do you know what? That is not truth. That isn't the way Jesus is. But then I think, okay, I believe Jesus that encouragement's good, but Again, this person, I'm not sure they are worthy of encouragement. You know, because there's all this other stuff. See, we got our own axios going on here. And the Lord says, no, I'm the one who weighs. I'm the one who holds the scale. I'm the one who determines. And here's the thing that I love about this. Is he determines what's on either side of the scale. We don't. What do you mean by that? You can put lead on one side and flour on the other. It doesn't really matter what's on either side, just simply that there's equilibrium. I love this picture. Paul's going to he's going to pull this picture out more in chapter four because it doesn't matter if people are different. Or if there are different things that are going on here, they fit together. They work together. For example, your favorite dress, ladies, or your your favorite shirt or your favorite pair of shoes. Why is it your favorite? Well, there's probably several reasons in that. You like the style of it, but probably one of the most important reasons to you, why you pick that more than anything else, is you like how it fits. It fits you well. It's comfortable to well to wear. And if it's not comfortable, at least it makes you look good. All right? So you like how it fits. And your husband likes it. All right. This is what he's this is the picture that's here. You and I, our physical bodies are not clothing, they're not shoes. They're not even the same material. They're not even close to being the same structure, but they fit together. This is the picture. This is what's going on here. God's taking things that are not alike, that are not even the same, but he's fitting them together and he's doing something amazing as he does it. He calls this, by the way, the church. The church. This is what he does. He fits things together that are not alike to accomplish amazing things that he might receive glory and that all might see his power. Now, we go on in this chapter and he keeps going and talking about um, the fact that, and I really want to talk about one more thing and then we're going to stop for today. All right. One more thing. Look at this next verse. Let's pick it up there. Calling to which you have been called. Verse 2 starts with, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now he goes on and he says, we are the body and we're growing up into the head, Jesus Christ. But the only way that you and I can mature 
is in relationship and interaction with the body. Folks, sooner or later, we're going to have to deal with this thing called the church. We're going to have to. We're going to have to deal with the fact that you can't grow up. Not my words. Read chapter 4. See if I am putting anything in there that doesn't say. He says that this is what the Lord desires. This is the DNA, the makeup, the atmosphere that He wants to see, this love, this gentleness. He says we're all one body, one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're all brought together. Then He's going to talk about 7-13. through 13. When we finally get there, He talks about these gifts that He gives within the body, this five-fold ministry that He has there. By the way, when we get to that, here, we're, as we begin to unpack this, you're going to discover that the means that the Lord has determined to help His body grow up is as they interact with one another and the gifts that He gives. These gifts He gives are for the purpose of having the body grow up. And often in church, we never see that. Because number one, we have wrong belief, bad belief. Sometimes that belief is, well, it's the pastor or it's the staff. They have gifts. It's the people who stand up here. They have gifts. God's given the things that are listed there. God gave it to them, but not to me. No, this calling is to the church. He's not writing to pastors when he writes the book of Ephesians. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people just like you, just like me, just like all of us. He could say life point. Not Troy or Paul or Aaron. Life point. The gifts that God gave you. What he has put in you is not only helping you grow up, it's helping the body grow up. If they're being utilized and acted upon. Now, here's the thing. He keeps saying this in so many different ways, though. You know why this doesn't happen most of the time in church is because somebody's gift is different than my gift. And I prefer the way my gift works and the way I think and the way I see truth and the way I like to function. And the way I like to do relationship. And you want to come in and mess it up with your gift. And your idea of truth. And the way you like to do relationship. And I don't like that. So I'm going to go down the street and start me another church. With people who have my gift and the way I like to do it. And we're all going to get together. And we're going to be as happy as we can be. And we're going to be all in agreement until we're not. And then we're going to do this all over again. And that is the story of church. Not just in America, but in the world. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. I have a design. I have a plan. I have a calling. And I'm going to put these diverse pieces together because nobody would ever think to take all of this and make something out of it. The church looks like Johnny Cash's song about that old Cadillac. Remember? Remember that old song where he kept stealing? Not that I'm, I'm not endorsing stealing, all right? And he kept stealing all these different pieces off the assembly line. And then he's got this Cadillac that's got 20 years worth of parts on it all put together. It was probably a, monstr a, a monstrosity to look at. But the Lord says, I'm doing something beautiful and amazing. And everybody who sees it will recognize it's otherworldly. It's from another world. But it requires difference for it to work. It requires you to be different. We don't like different. I don't like people who are different than me. I don't even like people who are like me. But you know, it's really hard with people who are different than me. <laughs> Andrew, I pick on Andrew because I know he doesn't care. Um, he's, he's going to Mel Hyatt now. And so last week, after the first day or two, I asked him, so how is it? And he goes, it's school. 
And uh, yeah, it is. And, and then he came in, he lays down, he's really tired. And he's like, I said, Andrew, why are you so tired, man? You're young and strong. Why are you so tired? He goes, there are so many people, dad. You know how he feels, right? There's so many people. I got over 2,000 people that I don't know or care to know. All right? And that's the way we usually are. And the Lord says, I want to do something different. I want to start it in the church, but I want it to be ever-growing, ever-expanding. I want to start it here, but it's going to keep reaching more and more who are invited in and, and they understand the calling and the walking that goes with the calling. We're going to have to deal with this thing called the church. We're going to start right now. I want you to stand up, if you can, stand up right where you are. We're not done yet, so don't leave, all right? Okay, just stand up if you can. If you can't, that's okay. We'll accommodate that. But if you can physically stand up, do that. Now listen for instructions. Don't move. This is not another greeting time, all right? I want everybody except those in the back row. You're going to turn to the row behind you, all right? And you know that won't work. You're going to turn because you'll all be turned back. Uh, you'll, I want each I want to, to two rows and you turn and face each other and you keep doing that. Two rows turning and facing each other. Can you do that right now? Two rows turn and face each other. All right. Two here. Then that two rows. So Florida, your row turns around and faces that. So two, two. Can you do that? You should be facing somebody. All right. Try to face somebody. All right. Now listen. Now listen. Now listen. Is is everybody facing somebody? All right. If you're not, then move around a little bit. Try to face somebody. All right. Now, I want one of you to initiate something. Now, listen carefully. I want you to initiate and listen before you start. Listen to the whole instruction. I want one of you to initiate and say, hi. Good morning. I'm the church. And then the person that you say that to is going to say, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm the church also. All right. You understand that? Do that now. All right. All right. Did anybody get left out? Oh, me. All right. All right. Okay. All right. I, I, Roy and I, hi, I'm the church. We, we, we communicated telepathically. We communicated up here. All right. Okay. See, we have once and for all to get out of our mind and our psyche that this is the church. You're looking at the church. You may not like what you're looking at, but that's it. That's the church. All right? You can have a seat. All right. Folks, this is the church. And it's different. It doesn't like, look like you. Did you turn around and look at anybody that looked like you? No, they don't look like you. And my guess, if you talk to them very long, they're not like you in many ways. The only thing that unites us is Jesus. The only thing. The only thing. But he says, I'm enough. I'm enough to take all things and unite them in myself. And I will supernaturally transform a body that looks just like this. The church, so often in our minds, is the location that we travel to to gather 
periodically with other people. That is not the church. Doesn't matter whether you're gathering. If the building, this building were gone tomorrow, God willing, we would gather the next time, whenever it is, right out here without a building. And we'd still be the church. As a matter of fact, we might be more of the church than we ever realized at that moment. This is the church. You say, well, pastor, I like some of these folks, but some of them have hurt my feelings. Are they still the church? Yeah. Yeah, they're still the church. As a matter of fact, they're the part of the church you ought to be probably most focused on right now. Because it's easy to hang out with people who haven't hurt your feelings. Who make you feel good about who you are. Everybody likes to hang out with them. But what about this where there's this issue and problem and where they've hurt my feelings? You say, well, we're just not able to fix it, reconcile. I didn't ask you to fix it. Jesus is a fixer. Jesus fixes. We just have to be willing. I will humble myself. I'll line up. I'll have my belief match my behavior. They'll be worthy. There'll be equilibrium there. It won't just be words. I say I believe this. I'll walk it out. This is, this is so simple, and yet the most difficult thing we will ever do in our lives is to do life this way. But when it happens, it literally changes the world. The early church changed the world. And you say, yeah, but that was the early church. They didn't have problems. All right? They were more spiritual than this bunch, Pastor. I mean, look around. They were, they were better than this group. No, they were not. Have you read your Bible? There are 15, letter, or 15 churches identified in the New Testament. I may have told you this before. There are 15 churches identified. 13 of them get letters. Only one of those 13 letters didn't have reproof and correction in it. And that's the book of Ephesians that we're in right now. And it wasn't because Ephesus was that great. Because we read in other places they had their issues. Matter of fact, in Revelation we find out they lost their first love. They didn't have any love. They had lots of endurance. They had sound doctrine. They didn't love. And he says, I got something against you. You don't love. If you think, the, if you somehow have romanticized the first century church, you've got the wrong picture. They were a mess. But the Lord used that mess to take the gospel literally around the world. He literally used Christianity to change an entire empire, the largest empire in the world. So within 300 years, this little group of nobodies had taken, and now within 300 years, the Roman Empire had adopted Christianity as its religion. Now the problem was they didn't understand relationship with Jesus and they messed it all up, all right? But that's the impact that this little group of nobodies had. Within 300 years, the entire Roman Empire now was saying everybody has to be Christian. Same power is here today. The end of, of chapter 3, right before the therefore, he who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably above what we could think or ask, according to the power 
that is at work within us. To Him be praise and glory. And then He says, now we've laid out the calling. You've accepted the calling. Now let's walk it out. Let's see what it looks like. Day to day. Every day in our life. It's not easy. But this is how you grow up. And the reason most of the time we don't grow up is because we reject the tool that God has ordained for us to grow up. And that's the church. That's the people that you're with. That means, I'll just be honest with you, that means that most of the time in our lives we have to put a higher priority on this calling. Because I'm not sure we see one another always that way. We don't value one another that way. I'm not saying all the time, and I'm not saying we never do it, because I think we do, and I think we're growing in it. But there is this, well, let me ask you, do you prefer your brothers and sisters when it's inconvenient? Do you think about how you could minister and serve them when it's not convenient to do so, when you have to sacrifice something in your life? Do you do that? Well, you say, Troy, you're meddling now. And besides, that's your job. That's what you get paid for. See, that's our problem. And that's what Paul and the Holy Spirit's addressing in Ephesians. This isn't the job of a select few who get paid. I think we have messed up in the American church because we have hired people to do this for us. So we don't have, because it's like everything else we do in our life. Let's hire somebody to do what I don't want to do. Let's hire somebody to mow our lawn. Or somebody to clean our house. And I'm not opposed to any of those things. But that's what we do. That's our American mindset. I don't like to do this and I have me. So let's hire somebody to do what I don't want to do. We've done the same thing in the church. And the Lord says, you'll never grow up that way. And here's the problem. Guys like me, we've encouraged that. We've actually said that's the right way to do it. And it's not. It's absolutely the wrong way to do it. And so we've taken accolades and praise and people thinking, oh, you're great and you've got all this and you've got this direct line with God and you're so spiritual. And we feed on that stuff and it builds our ego. And so we want to keep it going. And we've missed our calling, which is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I'm telling you, the next three chapters in Ephesians is going to mess with your life. That's what it's going to do. I'm just warning you right up front. It messes with mine. We're going to walk this thing out. I want you to bow your heads with me. We're going to get into... When the Lord says we can, we're going to get into this, these fivefold giftings. It's ministry. But before we go there, our belief needs to be in equilibrium with our walking. And it may be for some of us, we have the wrong belief about what church is. Church isn't a social club. It isn't a place where I just come and get along with people who are like me. And that's not just people who are socially like me or 
economically like me or theologically like me. We, see, we don't have a whole lot of tolerance for people who might theologically differ for us. So we create little groups so we don't have to deal with that. I'll tell you, some of the greatest growth in my life has come with me having to deal with people who theologically thought different than I do. I didn't like it so much. It's easier to be around people who thought like me. But there's no growth in that. There's no challenge to it. To look and see, what does God really say? What is He really doing here? What is it that's essentials that we cannot, we cannot vary from, we cannot move away from? And what is it, things that we're still learning and growing in and discovering? I would say that the first category is very small and the second one's huge. But the only way this works is if you take the first part of the chapter, there's grace that's that's applied to us and through us. There's mercy. There's love. There's gentleness. There's patience. There's honesty. The end of this chapter, there's truth, but it's always with love. Over the next few weeks and months, we're going to probably walk through and touch on some things that you'd rather leave buried. You'd rather leave them in the path. You'd rather leave them with the wall that you've already built around them. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to challenge us. He's going to come right up and He's going to knock right there on that wall, on that door. He's going to come right up where we're trying to hide. He's going to come right to it. And He's going to say, I want to address that because you can't grow up until you do. I'll be honest with you, it's painful. But not nearly as painful as doing nothing. Because the carnage of doing nothing, we already have that all scattered behind us. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to believe that worthy is something that you do in our life where you bring into equilibrium our belief and our walk. Our belief and our behavior. It's not something we strive for. It's not something we do in our own strength and energy. It's a work we've already seen. You told us in the end of chapter 3 that you're doing this work according to the power that's at work within us. That's how you're bringing this worthiness, this axios, because of this power at work within us, not because we willed it to be so, not because we were just stronger or better or smarter. Lord, you're doing this work. So here, Lord, we stand. Here I stand. Surrendered to you doing the work in me that you want to do. I want to grow up. I want to grow up into Christ. You, Jesus, being the head. I want to grow up in every relationship. I want to grow up in every thought. I want to grow up in how I view everything in this life. I want to grow up in my purpose and my calling. I want to grow up.
This is the promise. You, this is your plan for us, is that we would grow up. It's time, Lord, for us to grow up. And Lord, maybe we've grown some. We want to keep growing. We want to grow more. We don't want to stop in elementary or adolescence. We want to keep growing. That's your plan for us. It's just you and the Lord right where you are. Nobody else is here, just you and Him. If you're willing to allow the Spirit to do the work in you so that you can grow up, why don't you tell Him? Say, Lord, I'm willing. I want to grow up. Just tell Him. I'm willing. I surrender. I present myself. I realize it'll be hard. I realize there are going to be some painful things in this growing process. And I also realize that the way you do it is with the body. It's with these people around me. Not isolated from them, but with them. That's your plan. second prompting for those who think that you are a little more grown up you're a little further along in this journey and you probably are then would you be willing to surrender as well and say Jesus I want to demonstrate the growth that you have produced in my life I want to demonstrate your quality I want to demonstrate love I want to demonstrate patience. I want to demonstrate graciousness. I want to speak the truth, but I want to do it in love. Lord, I want to be able to step back and recognize when I'm speaking for you and when I'm just defending myself or speaking my own thoughts. It's a surrender. No matter where we are in this journey, it's a surrender. You can't keep growing without it. So you just tell him, Lord, I surrender. I agree with you. And I surrender. Now here's one other prayer I would encourage you. It's one I pray often. When I have a time like this with the Lord, I often will pray. Now Lord, I know that you're going to take me at my word. And there are going to be things that come along in the next few hours and days that are going to be working at helping me grow up. God, give me eyes to see them quickly when they come. Because I promise you, He takes you at your word. Lord, would you do this work in us? We cannot do it in ourselves. But we can surrender and cooperate with you. It isn't an either or, it's both and. And so, Lord, we surrender. Lord, would you make us willing to lay down anything that we believe at this moment that doesn't line up with the truth of who you are? Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how long we've held on to it, how right it seems. Lord, I surrender 
And I'm praying for your spirit doing a work in you. Each of us would surrender and say, I will lay down everything that doesn't line up with the truth of who you are and how you live and what your desires are. Now, Lord, give us wisdom to see that because we often don't know. In a moment, when we end the service, we always have prayer partners. If we can pray with you about anything in your life, including how to know Jesus as your Savior, but anything else as well, we're here to be able to pray with you about those things. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your work among your people. I thank you for what you've done. Lord, when I look at this body, I see the growth. I see where you have brought us. I see, Lord, there is no other place I'd rather be. We were talking about that this morning with several in a class and we talk about how happy they are to be here. I'm happy to be here too. I can't think of any other place I'd want to do life together than with these people, this body, your body in this place. But Lord, I also know there's more you want to do in your body. So Lord, we're happy, but we're we're spiritually wanting more. We're longing for more. So Lord, would you do the more? And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and worship together.